Hello everyone and welcome back to Down the Line. I'm Brevin Honda, joined with Kyle Betts. It's Thursday, September 29th, just after 11 o'clock here, approaching 11.30 here on the West Coast. How are you doing, Kyle? I'm doing great. It's been another week of filled with sports, to be honest with you, and we've had some milestones that have gone down. We're going to get into that a little bit, but first and foremost, we do have a special guest joining us for the second time here on Down the Line. And that is Amber Salas. Hey, everyone. Thanks for having me. Good to be back. Mm-hmm. Amber is a KTIV sports anchor and multimedia journalist in Sioux City, Iowa. Amber, you've been working in Iowa since January. What has that entire experience been like so far? Yeah, it's been a crazy experience just to pick up and move somewhere. I literally had never been before until I moved here, but... It's been really fun just to try something new, learn. I've definitely learned a lot about myself, um, just going for it, I guess. But it's been really fun just to really dive into all the sports that we have here. I know it sounds crazy, a little town in Iowa, but there's so much going on from our minor league teams we have here. We have hockey, baseball a bunch of college football programs in the NAIA that do really well. So it's definitely kept me really busy, and it's been fun just to learn more about all of the players and all the cool things we have going on here. Yeah, I saw your recent post on Instagram, Amber, where you were able to go to the Field of Dreams, and you covered an event there. What was that event, and what was that experience kind of like? I mean, it just seems so unique being able to go to a venue like that. Yeah, that was the coolest day ever. I know personally, I a love the movie, a classic, but then to see the recent MLB games that they had there, that was such a cool thing. And the way that Fox did all their production, I think was so cool. So about just under a year ago, one of our local colleges, Briarcliff university, which is right here in Sioux city, um, Someone in their alumni office had a connection with the Field of Dreams. And after the first MLB game was held there, they started talking about how cool would it be if we did a college baseball game there. So Briarcliff kind of set everything up. And lo and behold, about a year later, they did the first ever college baseball game there. It was two small schools from Iowa, obviously Briarcliff from here. And then it was Luther College, which is from the other side of Iowa. But there, they did all of the fun things like walking out through the cornfield and they had a bunch of special guests there like Tony Oliva who threw the ceremonial first pitch. So it was such a cool day. And uh, like literally that week, my boss asked me if I could go cover it. And I was like, heck yeah. <laughs> and it was really cool. But <laughs> funny thing. So we do... I basically, the way we go live is through this new thing called a live view backpack, right? Mm. And I basically just plug that into my camera and that's how we feed back to the station. I could essentially be anywhere. I could be in California and feed back to Iowa, but the catch is the backpack feeds off of cell phone towers. That's how it gets its signal. Oh. So as you can imagine... A cornfield in the middle of Dyersville, Iowa, where the Field of Dreams is, didn't really have phone service. 
so, you know, we had all these plans to go live in every show because it was such a big deal, and that did not work at all. I made probably 10 trips to and from my hotel back to the baseball field to just send things back to get there because yeah. I had to use the Wi-Fi from the hotel. So that was fun, but overall, it was such a cool experience, and Briarcliff won, so that was really cool. This is Amber's second overall appearance here on our podcast and first since about this time last year she uh, was part of, uh, she was guest on our uh, show back on episode 16 which was back on October 8th 2021 I did the digging and found that and um, <laughs> it took me a while to find that <laughs> a blast from the past yeah yeah it's been a long time for sure mm-hmm we are currently, uh, this is currently episode number 68, so we're going to get a lot of, a lot of sports in, we're going to get into the Fast Five in just a sec, we're going to talk some NBA, um, some NBA preseason basketball is about to begin, we're going to talk some baseball as regular season concludes, we're going to get into the NFL week four, we're also going to talk some fantasy football, Amber is in our league, so we'll get to talk to her about her team as well, and we're going to get into some trivia as well at the end but let's get into the fast five right now and we're going to talk about some milestones to kick off fast five and first one comes technically from the midwest the st louis cardinals their dh albert pujols hit his 700th career home run on friday night uh at dodger stadium yeah and it's awesome to see him break that and finally get to 700 i know there were some people that weren't really sure if he was going to get it just because it seemed like he kind of slowed down over the past couple of weeks in terms of hitting home runs, but to see him get two in one night was amazing. And I think no person more deserving of him to, you know, get that honor, join the 700 club. And it, it was just amazing to see. I mean, Amber, we were able to see him and countless times when he was here in Anaheim, he had a lot of bombs here too. But I mean, what does it mean to see, what does it mean for you to see that guy kind of break that plateau? Yeah, I think it's really cool, as you mentioned. Like, even though he slows down, he always finds a way to come back. And I feel like we saw that even, as you mentioned, during his time with the Angels. It would kind of be up and down. He Mm -hmm. goes to the Dodgers for a little bit, all of this stuff. But just to kind of see it come full circle for him is really cool. Because he has meant a lot to Major League Baseball. And he has been a really big clutch moment player so I remember uh, I actually was reading highlights from the Cardinals because we cover them in our area when he hit 697 and I remember kind of um, talking with our anchor after I was done reading and we were all like you know next thing is 700 can he do it and at that point there was like a couple weeks left in the season and I just remember I was like oh he'll do it and here he is but it's really cool to see for sure I love all the infographics that have come as a result of him hitting 700. Um, you know, we think about, obviously, the biggest stat that's come with it, uh, the amount of home runs against different pitchers um, throughout his career, 455. That's a major league record. Um, 120 of his 700 home runs have come uh, at Bush Stadium, the most of any venue. Um, homers against a single opponent. Um, was the Houston Astros when they were uh, in the National League before uh, the 2013 season began. So just a few of those type of 
numbers and infogra- within infographics uh, stand out. I thought it was really cool, too. I saw somewhere on Twitter, there's kind of a montage of his entire baseball career and all the teams he's been with and all of the home runs he's hit up until, like, that final or that big 700. And it was really cool just to, like, some of this video was from way back. But it was cool to see it all go together and kind of that looking back on his career. Mm-hmm. Those two home runs that he had to get 699 and 700 on Friday night was his 61st uh, two-home run game, and he has also four three-home run games as well. Yeah, it seems like 61 is kind of a theme as well because Aaron Judge yesterday, he ended up hitting 61 as well, and that's our second kind of tidbit here in the Fast Five. Um, tying the American League record set back in 1961 by former Yankee Roger Maris, and it, it's just incredible to see this guy reach that number, and he's definitely going to get 62, I think. You know, a few games left, and it seems like he's been tearing it up all year long, and he's the MVP favorite, and I think that's for a reason. Amber, what do you think about his season so far? Yeah, it's been really fun to watch. This is the coolest thing, is that we just get a front row seat to all this history that's going yeah. down, you know. Albert continuing to move up in, like, most all-time then we see Judge doing this week after week. I think what's been really funny, though, is <laughs> pitchers not wanting to face him. Like, yeah. They don't want to be the one. That's the one for him to make the record, you know, and be remembered as that. So that's been kind of funny. But it's it's really cool to see and just what a special year it's been for them. And I think he'll hit it for sure. Yeah, it's. I, th- I think he had, like... He's just been on fire. Yeah. He's not going to stop now, especially when it's that close to him. Yeah. You talk about, like, pitchers not wanting to face them. I think he had, like, four walks the other night. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, that was crazy. Brevin, what did you think about uh, his 61st? Yeah, there were some people saying if it was going to come because it had been, like, six days or about a week since he hit 60. And, yeah, um, you know, you see him. Yeah, it was only just a matter of time. I mean, we're about a week, week and a half left until the season concludes. But... To see Aaron Judge hit 61, it's the first time in American League players hit that many homers since uh, former Yankee Roger Maris did that back in 1961. It just tells you um, how kind of rare um, the home run ball has been um, for one player in in the American League. Hmm? We're going to move on now We're to number three. We're going to go to the PGA Tour. We mentioned this last week. We kind of previewed it. The PGA Tours at President's Cup concluded on Sunday with the United States defeating the international team 17.5-12.5. San Diego State alum Xander Shoffley scored the winning point for Team USA in a one-up victory in a single match on Sunday. Jordan Spieth, who made, uh, who made long putts and multiple chip-ins throughout his tournament, did not lose any of him ma- his matches, going 5-0. and uh, Ricky Max, home of... Also went undefeated in his matches, going 4-0, highlighted by winning his singles match on Sunday, making the final putt for Burry of Friday's second round to give the Americans a full point and an 8-2 lead through two days. Yeah, Max Poma has been a guy who's really just been on that upward trend throughout this year, and it's great to see him go undefeated in that. And yeah, you mentioned it, Xander Shoffley. I mean, what a guy. That's all I got to say. I mean, he's always just seems to have that clutch gene, and there you go. I mean, getting that final putt to win it all for the U.S. and, and kind of clinch that, I think that's 
what we expected the Americans to take this and to see that actually happen was great. I didn't really watch any of it, just pretty much following on Twitter and seeing highlights. But yeah, really nice to see uh, the Americans come through in the President's Cup. And um, obviously, it's pretty interesting to see them face the international team in all these different sorts of competitions as well. Mm-hmm. For Max Homa, you know, he he had won the Fortnite Championship on the Sunday before um, the tournament, and mm. so he was already having that momentum. And then he had a make the trip to Charlotte um, for the President's Cup. And for him to go 4-0, it says a lot about, um, you know, his desire. He said he wanted to – this is this is a goal that he wanted to be a part of. It's a goal that a lot of golfers want to be part of is being, you know, being part of the President's Cup team because it shows the success that you've had for either that year or um, the last few years. And for Max Oma to not only – enjoy it but then to go 4-0 in his matches it says a lot about um you know what Max Home was able to do um in Charlotte yeah most definitely and you mentioned Charlotte that's pretty much an area of the country right now that's been hit hard by Hurricane Ian as well as particularly Florida um I saw it was downgraded to a tropical storm today but um, I think it was Category 4, Category 5 yesterday when it really hit Florida. And you're seeing many parts of the East Coast be affected by that right now. And it's also affecting a lot of sporting events. And um, that includes Orlando Magic training camp, uh, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers uh, game this week. I think they play on Sunday night. And they are going to actually have that game in Tampa Bay. So that's a good sign. But, yeah, it was crazy to see a lot of the um, photos and videos that were that came from the hurricane and all the social media reaction as well. As it moves up the East Coast, it could affect the Atlanta Braves and the New York Mets, who also play a three-game series beginning on Friday. So um, that tropical storm is going to continue to create some chaos in one way or another. Um, Amber, have you kind of been following this hurricane and seen a little bit of the media that's come from it? Yeah, it was crazy seeing everything go down in Fort Myers yesterday, yeah. and, you know, I just, as as a journalist myself, especially in the beginning when I started out, I was doing a little bit of news and sports. Here in the Midwest, we obviously have some severe weather with tornadoes and crazy thunderstorms and whatnot, so I would sometimes get sent out in that, and it would freak me out, especially <laughs> someone who's never experienced that before. It's like, wait, I'm really going out right now, you know? <laughs> So I just think of all the reporters who are out there right now risking their safety to keep everyone else safe and informed. Like, I'm sure we've all seen the videos of even the Weather Channel people that are, like, ducking down, can't even walk in their live shots. Like, that's just, that's crazy. But it's a good picture of that's what's really going on right now. But I think the sporting stuff is just a real eye-opener because, you know, we're all such fans of the game and these players, and we kind of idolize them in a way, especially fans, but this is kind of that human element of, Mm -hmm. yeah, everyone's being affected right now. We might not be able to have games if it continues at this rate. We're all evacuating just like everyone else, you know? So I think it kind of shows that human element, and I think it's good when these teams are doing the right thing with safety, showing that, yes, you know, just like everyone else, we all need to be safe. It's not worth the risk of someone to get hurt, you know. So, but hopefully, I mean, 
even as the worst of it is hopefully over, there's still mm-hmm. so many effects from rain to wind and whatnot that might still be passing through that area. So obviously thinking positive thoughts for everyone there. Yeah, I saw a Weather Channel report yesterday. He was hit by a tree branch. Yep, Jim Story. Or how about, yeah. did anyone see the shark in the middle of the yeah. road? Yeah. yeah, I saw that as well. <laughs> that is just so crazy. <laughs> yeah, it's wild. And I think right now it is projected to hit Charleston um, around Friday morning. Right now it's kind of passing through the coastline of Florida right now and Georgia as well. But um, we are going to see it end up uh, hitting North Carolina soon. And, yeah, you're totally right when you bring that up, Amber, that, you know, there's a human element to really everything. And sports is a way that kind of unites everyone in one way or another. But this is definitely an eye-opener. And, you know, even being on the other side of the country, just like me and Brevin are, and even you in the Midwest, um, it's definitely interesting to follow. And, you know, our concerns are with everyone affected, but, yeah, it, it's wild to see how it impacts everyone and just everything that's come from it. And, yeah, hopefully the worst of it has already passed, like you said. One player who obviously we know that went through those hurricanes was uh, Drew Brees during Hurricane Katrina that went through uh city of New Orleans back in 2000, 2005. Uh, we're, we're, now we're going to talk to Drew Brees because uh, he is one of the investors of – Major League Pickleball, and we bring this up because LeBron, um, three NBA players, LeBron James, Draymond Green, and Kevin Love, among others, are buying a Major League pickle, Pickleball team. Yeah, that is so interesting. And we've seen Pickleball really gain a lot of traction these past couple years, and it's was it was really a way for people to get outside and exercise during the pandemic, and that's really where it gained popularity. And I think it's easier for people who are older as well, especially on their joints, because it's not like tennis. You don't have to move around as much, but it's still, you know, kind of the same idea. It's still really fun. And now you really see pickleball gain popularity with its own major league. Not only that, but these NBA players investing in it as well. And obviously you mentioned Drew Brees. And I think it's going to continue to grow. It's really interesting that they would invest in this, but clearly they see something and they see value in it, and that's why they're doing it. And, uh, yeah, <laughs> we'll see how it actually turns out. We'll see if their team is uh, competitive within that league. Amber, have you kind of followed pickleball at all ever since the pandemic started? A little bit, kind of like the headlines that pop up. Yeah. Like they, but I think I think it's a good point overall. Just the sports market in general is so valuable right now, mm-hmm. you know, even just across all leagues, you see teams going up for sale and just the money that's going into this and how much these franchises are worth and whatnot. It's just so crazy to see that continue to go up. And so, yeah, I mean, we were even kind of talking about earlier, you know, what does this mean for all of these star players like LeBron for their life after sport? And yeah. it's like, yeah, you know, this is that good first step of if you know I'm sure they all have goals and dreams of owning a big franchise one day and this could kind of be that first step test it out see how it goes and yeah yeah and especially with something that is kind of like you said gaining that traction kind of getting that popularity it's on the rise right now which I feel like is the perfect time to come in and try something like this you know so it'll be kind of cool to see what they do 
All right, we're going to move on now from the fast five. We're going to talk some baseball uh, and talk about the Seattle Mariners. We knew that, uh, obviously, we talked a few weeks ago about the extension or the contract for their rookie phenom, Julio Rodriguez. Well, Seattle Mariners announced another signing to keep another player long-term, and that is starting pitcher Luis Castillo, who the Mariners acquired at the trade deadline last month. Castillo and the Mariners agree on a five-year, $108 million contract extension. Yeah, this is a big deal, and they're keeping their guy around. You already mentioned they acquired him before the trade deadline, and here they are keeping him in the long term. And Yeah, it's great seeing them kind of bolster their staff and kind of retaining that good rotation. I know that Amber and, you know, myself, us, us being Angels fans, don't really like seeing this move necessarily, but um, clearly the Mariners are in it for the long run, and right now they've put together a really good season and wildcard contention, obviously, 84-70 and 70 record. We're going to talk about that race as well, but um, yeah, the Mariners are looking really good, and they're going to be difficult to beat for many years to come, especially with him being a part of that. Uh, another team involving starting pitcher involves the Tampa Bay Rays, not from a contract extension, but from an injury perspective, and that is Rays starting pitcher Shane Bass, who will undergo, uh, who underwent Tommy John surgery and will be out for the 2023 season to rehab. Yeah, that's too bad. Um, we've seen them kind of deal with injury issues over the past couple of years, the Tampa Bay Rays, especially the rotation. Tyler Glasnow being one of those guys. I think he just made his first appearance of the season yesterday. Yesterday. Mm-hmm. Um, so so it's good to see him back. But, yeah, this is definitely a blow to them. I mean, regardless, their rotation is still looking solid with mm-hmm. Shane McClanahan, you know, leading the way. They still got Kluber. Drew Rasmussen has been pretty solid. So they have the depth to kind of overcome this. But, yeah, it's definitely a blow to their rotation, and we're going to miss seeing him pitch. Mm-hmm. Uh, other news, we're going to stick in. Florida, where the Miami Marlins and their manager, Don Mattingly, will part ways after the end of this season. Yeah, I actually didn't even hear about this recently. I saw, what was it, a couple days ago when one of their pitchers balked three times in a row, and Don Mattingly was ejected from the game. (laughs) It was crazy. I, I was like... I'm not, I don't think I've seen that, or maybe if I have, it's been years since I saw something yeah. like that. Um, but, yeah, uh, it's going to be interesting to see them mutually part ways. He's been – how long has he been, he's been with the team, uh, Brevin? Six years, I think. Yeah, so he, he's been there for a while. Um, but clearly they're not getting the job done. 64-91 record on the season. Um, you kind of hope to see more out of them competing in NL East, you know, being a part of that. But um, I, th- I think it's the right move for this organization. They need to improve. They need to get better. And this is probably a step they need to take in order to do so. He uh, has been with the Marlins since 2016. Wow, that's great. I, like, I didn't even think he was there for that long. But, yeah, it's, that, that's wild. <laughs> also, that includes making the postseason uh, in 2020. Uh, I see that was the year they expanded the postseason to 16 teams um, from the National League and eight from the mm. American League. Yeah, totally forgot about that, too. Mm-hmm. But that is a young team out in Miami. You know, I see you got Sandy Alcantara, you got um, yeah. all these younger players. Um, 
But they're looking at 2023, and Kim Ng's looking to move the needle and get this team closer to the playoffs as that, as that starting rotation primarily gets, uh, gets this year under their belt and into the winter. Right. Aaron Judge, currently in the midst of trying to get Triple Crown. We talked about his 61 home runs earlier in our episode. He's hitting 313 as we speak right now, two points behind Luis Rice hitting 315, and is currently leading the American League in RBIs with 130. Amber, do you think Aaron Judge can uh, achieve a triple crown? I think he can. I mean, like we were kind of talking about earlier, he's been on such a roll. And it, the only thing that's crazy is just kind of how now all these pitchers have been treating him with all of the walks and everything. It was funny. I was almost going to bring this up earlier. I guess I'll bring it up now. I was listening to a podcast where they were talking about this. And do you think... Like, what do you both think about pitchers walking him and not kind of owning up to the challenge of throwing a good pitch to him where he can't hit a home run? Like, do you think that's right, or do you think they should be owning up to it? Well, if, if I'm a pitcher, I, I you know what? If history's going to be made against me, then I would absolutely allow it, you know? I, I'm going to go out there and compete. Obviously, it, it's up to the manager's discretion, too, maybe, because you don't necessarily want to intentionally walk a guy or, you know, even throw some pitches that are outside of the zone, you know, with, I guess, some sort of clear intent to walk him. But, yeah, no, I, I would fully embrace it. I would embrace the challenge because, I mean, that's a guy who's already made history this season in itself. And the only thing that's left for him is that final home run to get to 62. Not only that, but really it's just, achieving first in AL and batting average as well. He's just behind Luis Arias um, just by .02 points right there. So, I mean, it's I, – I don't know. I, I would, yeah, I, I would definitely face him. And I, I'm a huge Luis Arias fan myself. I, I, I would like to see him get first in batting average, but I don't know. It would be pretty cool to see Judge get that triple crown. I hope he does. But that that is a good question, Brevin. What do you think? Yeah, I think from a pitcher's perspective, and from an opposing team's perspective, you know, you bring up the fact that history is on the line. I think I'm looking at it from a competitive standpoint, and no matter if you're out of the postseason picture right now, but you're still in the postseason picture, you're still trying to uh, win ball games. And mm-hmm. you know, maybe walking Aaron Judge makes sense because of what the what the hitters below them in the lineup do and you know if that's going to be the best way to beat the Yankees is to walk Aaron Judge to get a victory then teams might be doing that aspect you know from a Padres perspective we've seen that a few times this year from Manny Machado for example Um, we saw Dave Roberts do that and for um, you know it's kind of similar because it's teams don't want to face because of these type of hitters because of they know the impact that they could have with one swing of the bat yeah, and you see the Yankees obviously leading the AL East. Um, they clinched on Tuesday, and like you mentioned, Brevin, it's all situational depending on the winning ball games. But um, staying in the East, there's a couple teams that do need to win some ball games this weekend, and they're playing each other. So that's going to be really fun to watch. That being the Braves and the Mets, both have clinched a playoff spot, but they're really gunning it out right now in the NL East. They play a three-game series in Atlanta this weekend. 
And the winner of the NL East gets a, a bye in the wild card, obviously, and then the loser would have to host a wild card series against the Phillies, Brewers, or Padres, depending on what happens. But, Brevin, what are you kind of expecting from this series this weekend? Yeah, this should be pretty interesting of a series. Uh, you know, two teams that are still neck and neck, um, fighting it out for a division crown. You think about where the where we're at in the standings right now. Um, the Mets currently have a one-game lead on the Atlanta Braves. The Mets won yesterday. The Braves lost yesterday. Uh, and let's see if I can pull up the pitching matchups for this weekend. If not, I'm out yeah. But, you know, it should be, you know, a big weekend. You'll probably see Max Scherzer. You'll probably see Max Freed on the other side um, at some point. Um, Friday's matchup, I pull it up. Um, you got Jacob DeGrom going up against Max Freed. And that's, that's a, you know, that's two number ones going at it against each other. And so it'd be a great matchup um, this entire weekend. That means Max Scherzer's going to go Saturday and, um, Say probably what Spencer Strider going Saturday as well. Mm-hmm. But you know, it's two good pitching staffs um that'll go up against one another um with a spot to have a have a wild card by. Yeah, you talk about that wild card and it's gonna be a really close race. Not only between the Braves and the Mets and who's gonna clinch the NL East, but obviously the Padres, the Phillies as well as the Brewers as well. Right now, the Padres are up two and a half games on the Phillies as we speak. Again, we're recording this Thursday, September 29th, right around noon Pacific time. So um, things are going to change tonight, most likely. Uh, the Phillies, 83-71 and 71 record. They have a half, half of a game above the Brewers right now. So... A lot of different things could change. I know the Phillies are actually playing the Cubs right now as we speak. And in that game, the Cubs are up 1-0 in the bottom of the second. So the Phillies kind of need a win, and we're going to see if they're able to come back and pull it off. Mm-hmm. One thing that benefits the Phillies is that they own the tiebreaker over the Padres and the Brewers. So if yeah. um, the Phillies are tied with Mwaki at the end of the year, the Phillies would have that tiebreaker. Um, over the Brewers, if that means the Phillies are the third wildcard team and Milwaukee's the last team out. Yeah. This is where everything gets so crazy in these yep. final regular games of the season is remembering all of these factors, but I think it's just another overall reminder of how important every game really is, yeah. you know? Especially mm-hmm. when the baseball season goes for so long compared to some of these other sports. It's like you can kind of get caught up, well, oh, it's still early, you know, but this is an example where literally that has such a big impact on what might happen. Yeah, no no doubt about that. Yeah. Uh, Mm -hmm. I I, I think a team that really hasn't had to worry so much about that this season just because they won so much, the Dodgers and, you know, them clinching, are they going to get to, what is is their team record? I think it's 107 wins. 107-48 right now. Yeah, so... um, that's going to be obviously broken, you would expect, for the that Dodgers. Is, mm-hmm. Yeah, the 107 uh, wins. Nice. Mm-hmm. That is a franchise record for most wins in a season. It eclipsed last year's 106 wins. Okay. 
see. This is always the Dodgers' time to shine. We <laughs> always see them pull through in these moments, time after time again. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. NL Central as well. We saw the Cardinals clinch on Tuesday. They ended up beating the Brewers. So that was a big game, not only for the Cardinals in order to clinch the Central division, but obviously being the Brewers and the, the implications there with the wild card as well. But when you talk about the American League, I mean, it's kind of been interesting to follow, particularly the wild card. Um, other than that, we've kind of seen all the other teams clinch pretty easily in the West. You have the Astros obviously seeing the way there. In the AL Central, we've seen the Guardians clinched. I think before the season, we all kind of expected the White Sox to win that division, but they've underperformed big time. So um, we're going to see if they're going to be able to come back from that next season. But the, Guardi- the Guardians have clinched the AL Central. The AL East obviously belongs to the Yankees, who clinched on Tuesday. And really, Brevin, it all comes down to the wild card right now. Toronto, Tampa Bay, Seattle, and Baltimore. Yeah, the Baltimore, they're four and a half back of Seattle for that final spot. Um, not sure the, who's got the head-to-head between the two. But, um, but yeah, right now, between Toronto, Tampa Bay, and Seattle, it's all based on seeding and um, you know, who wants to face each other and who wants to face Cleveland um, in the wild card. Yeah, right now, I think in order for the Orioles to have a chance, they have to win out, and they also pretty much need help from all these other teams. You know, they play a series against the Blue Jays, so that'll be interesting to fall. But even then, they're still, I think, seven games up on them, and they have a series this weekend against the Yankees. So right now, it looks like the Orioles aren't going to make a wild card spot just because over this past month, they've kind of missed out on some opportunities. They lost two of three to the Tigers. Uh, they lost two. They lost one to the Astros, so they won that series. They, okay, they split that series, actually. And right now they're playing the Red Sox, top of the fifth inning. It's two to two, but you've seen so far in this series, the Red Sox have took two out of three as well. So they've kind of missed out on some opportunities, even when Seattle has lost games, which they were expected to win, especially against the A's, the Rangers, teams of that sort. Mm. All right, we're going to move on to the Padres. Their magic number to clinch a playoff spot is four. It means uh, the Padres can clinch as early as Friday with two wins and two Milwaukee losses. Yeah, I've kind of been following the Padres and Dodgers in the series that's gone down this week, and I thought it was a huge win on Tuesday night, that walk-off walk from Jorge Alfaro. That was just an electric game. Last night, not as electric, I would say. We saw a really good pitching performance, um, both from from Julio and uh, Father Joe. And it's, yeah, I think that's pretty much what we expected out of these two teams. You know, two good lineups going at it, but at the same time, really good pitching rotations. And we're kind of seeing that. Not too many runs scored in these two games so far. And we're in for another treat between these two teams tonight. And obviously in recent history, we've seen the Dodgers kind of take everything against the Padres, but it's good to see Padres take game one of the series, and we'll see if they're going to take game three. And when you think about the expectations for this team, Brevin, and how they perform as of late, um, do you think that they're going to end up clinching that playoff spot sooner than later? I think so. It'll probably be sometime this weekend um, when the Padres yeah. face the White Sox, but... 
you know, the goal is just to take it one game at a time. And, you know, when you're playing a team like the Dodgers, you know, they um, have already clinched, you know, the Dodgers are going to be getting their players healthy and ready for the postseason. We've already seen a number of injuries from um, the Dodgers, from uh, Dustin May to, uh, you know, a few others. But, you know, this is the Padres' um, opportunity to go out and win a series um, at home against uh, their AL foes or their division foes. Yeah, that's for sure. And the Padres, again, two and a half games up above the Phillies, three games above the Brewers, and the Brewers are also playing the Marlins today. So that's a game with a lot of implications as well. Hmm. All right, we move on. It's interesting to, for the mm-hmm. Padres to, uh, you know, so much talk about these big trade deadlines that they always come up big on. We saw Juan Soto this year and whatnot. But interesting, though, none of them have been really able to do what they did in the first half of the season with their other teams and what you get so excited for when, you know, the Padres come up with a big move like this. For example, Juan Soto had 21 home runs for the Nationals, but since joining the Padres, only five. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of interesting, I know, I was reading something of in this final push to clinch those wild card spots, what does each team kind of need? And for the Padres, the headline was literally, will their trade deadline acquisitions show up? So it's kind of interesting seeing that and how this team kind of meshes and gels together. Like you said, really strong pitching, but, you know, yeah, mm-hmm. kind of in these final push moments, needing those big plays on the offense as well. So we'll see. Yeah, I think I saw a stat where in his last 10 games, Juan Soto was hitting like 350, 360, I don't know, something like that. So he is getting a little more hot, I think, at the right time, and I think that's what you want to see. But, mm-hmm. yeah, no, you're totally right, Amber, just putting it together at the right time, and that's just a postseason. Like all these teams that have that are still competing, obviously, for wild card spots, like it's, it's important, but um, you really got to keep that going when, when mm-hmm. it's playoff time for sure. Another I'm player. Sure a time when... They really wish they could have Tachi. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Another player similar is Josh Hader, um, who yeah. struggled in the month of August, but you see him rebound. You see him go one, two, three last night. And, yeah, that was um, great. It's just about getting hot um, at the right time, and that time is pretty much right now. Yeah, for sure. All right, let's move on to some Angels. Uh, me and Amber, obviously long-suffering Angels fans, um, not a good season. I know, Amber, we started out hot, and it all came crashing down. And if you've listened to past episodes of Down the Line, then you've been able to hear how this team has kind of melted down, in a sense. But, yeah, right now, 69-86 record for this team. I said, I think a couple episodes ago, the goal for this team is to finish around the 12 to 15 games back of 500 range. So we're going to see if that happens. I know that Shohei Otani is making his last home start of the season tonight. I think it's going to be his last start as well. Um, but it's going to be nice to see him back on the mound and hopefully put together another good performance for the Angels. But, yeah, it, it's been a rough season, especially especially after how it started, Amber. I mean, were you kind of following this team when they were among the top five teams in the league and then they lost 14 in a row? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so the story goes. Yeah. Uh, I think it's just, it's 
it's a tough kind of cloud that just is always over the Angels. Because I feel like even when they were on this hot streak, it's like, oh, well, how long is it going to last, you yeah, know? that's true. And, yeah, I think it's just, gosh, every time it's like, okay, well, what what is going wrong? What do we need to do? What are we going to do next year, you know? Yeah. But I think, you know, you talk about some of the – amazing players they've had too like Shohei Otani and Mike Trout who are kind of just under that cloud too of all these generational talent but they're playing for the Angels you know so it'll be interesting to see what will happen now but yeah definitely tough fall for the Angels this year yeah the Angels when you when you think about guys who were supposed to be among their best players on the team Anthony Rendon was expected to be one of them. Hasn't panned out as we expected. Injuries being a big part of that. And we've seen him finally get reinstated, I believe, yesterday. And he's going to serve his five-game suspension from that Mariners brawl uh, a few months back. Obviously, the, the infamous brawl, which we thought was going to change the narrative of the Angels season after they started losing, but ultimately didn't really do anything. And Anthony Rendon, obviously, as a result of that, Suspended five games. He's serving that right now. He's going to play the last three games of the season. So that'll be interesting to watch, I think, as well. But, yeah, you you talk about this Angels team and how they're doing right now. Um, Top prospect and catcher Logan O'Hoppe made his MLB debut last night. He went one for three. And, obviously, he was a piece that was acquired through the Brandon Marsh trade when the Angels traded one of their young outfielders to the Phillies. Obviously, he's had a much better time in Philadelphia than in Anaheim, at least in terms of his performance at the plate. But Logan O'Hoppe, he's one of those guys who the Angels kind of cashed in on him, and it seems like it's paying off at least so far. At least, you know, you saw him get a hit in his first plate appearance, and the Athletics' Keith Law as well today named O'Hoppe his prospect of the year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it says a lot about what uh, he's been able to, what uh, O'Hoppe's been able to do um, this year and the success that he's had um, both at the plate and really just at the plate in general, um, catching as well. Yeah, so when you think about the ALS standings right now, it's Astros, Mariners, Angels, and Rangers, and I think the Angels are two and a half games above the Rangers. My goal for this team was just finish higher than the Rangers in the division. So we're going to see if they're going to be able to do that. And uh, another piece of news from the Angels that, we saw last night was Mickey Moniak. He returned to the lineup, uh, but he also got hurt again. Uh, another hand injury. I think a ball hit him. Uh, he was trying to swing or check swing, and uh, x-rays were negative, so that's good. But another piece of misfortune for the Angels, uh, and when you put the perspective of their season, it, it's been a whole lot of misfortune. So um, hopefully the Angels are able to finish it off, at least on a high note. We're going to be able to see guys like Ohapi, like Anthony Radon return to the lineup, and It's just games against the A's and Rangers uh, that are left. Kyle, when you think about, you know, we see these injuries, Mickey Moniak, for example, is it worth it for a player like Anthony Rendon to play those final three games? Yeah, I don't know if it's necessarily worth it, but I like seeing him out there. I I Mm -hmm. think it'll be interesting to see how he does, you know, especially in terms of his lack of production on this team. I mean, he's been injured for so long, and, Last season, I think he only played a couple months, and then we never saw him again. And pretty much the same for Mike Trout. They pretty much shut him down. We weren't sure if that was injury-related or they just didn't want to play him. 
And so now this time, I, I think it's a little different because Mike Trout, there were rumors of, you know, his back injury being potentially career-ending, and look how he's done ever since that news came out. I mean, he's, he's came back, and I think he has 38 home runs on the season. He hit one last night. So it's the same for Anthony Rendon. I, I think it's good for team morale to get him back out there, get some playing time. I mean, there's not much risk, obviously, besides injury. So we'll see, we'll see what happens. Mm-hmm. But I, I think it'll be good to see him back out there, especially, you know, playing alongside Trout in the lineup and um, just hoping he stays healthy in the future because that contract is not looking good right now. <laughs> Seven years, $245 million, uh, when Anthony Reno signed that contract. Uh, yeah, it's, entering the 2020 season. Sim- similar to the Russell Wilson contract. <laughs> yeah. mm-hmm. All right, we're going to take a quick break. Amber's going to stay with us. Uh, we're going to talk some NBA. We're going to talk about the top five on the ESPN Top 100 after uh, we talked about it last week among 6 through 10. Um, we're also going to talk about the NFL. We're going to talk about the Chargers, with Amber being a big Chargers fan. We're also going to talk about um, some of the games going on, as well as some fantasy football. That's all coming up when we come back here on Down the Line. What's up, everyone, and welcome back to the second half of episode 68 of Down the Line. I'm Kyle Betts, joined by Brevin Honda and our special guest, Amber Salas, who is a anchor and multimedia journalist at KTIV in Sioux City, Iowa. She has joined us today. We talked about recent news going on in sports. We got into some MLB news as well as standings and what's going on in terms of the postseason picture. We also talked some Padres and Angels just a few minutes ago and now we're going to get into some NBA news and last week we kind of previewed what is it the top 10 at least positions 6 through 10 of the uh, ESPN top 100 players in the NBA and on Friday last Friday it was released positions 1 through 5 so there are some names in here Brevin which we kind of talked about last week who we thought would go where we weren't really sure but it's been revealed. Number five is Steph Curry. Number four is Joel Embiid. Number three is Luka Doncic. Number two is Nikola Jokic. And number one is Giannis Antetokounmpo. So that is your top five in the ESPN Top 100 players. Brevin, uh, thoughts on this top five? Yeah, I thought it was pretty good. I thought Steph Curry would have been higher. You think about him winning a championship. You think about... Um, you know, winning finals MVP, um, uh, maybe the leg injury set that back, you know, in the spring, but I thought maybe Steph would have been a little bit higher. Yeah, yeah, I think so too. I think he could have maybe passed 
Joel Embiid and Luka Doncic yep. in mm-hmm. that you know order, to be honest with you. But yeah, it's definitely interesting to see that list kind of be reviewed. We weren't really sure who's going to go where, but um, it's been revealed now. And Amber, did you kind of expect Giannis to be number one over Nikola Jokic, who just won back-to-back MVPs as well? Yeah, it's kind of crazy. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I I feel like in the the NBA, stuff like this means so much. Yeah, you the players know? care so much. <laughs> yeah, so it, it's kind of funny to see the reaction, but I think if you look at that top five, they're all so talented mm-hmm. in their own way, you know, and the things that they continue to do year after year. So, you know. I think maybe he should have been number one. Kind of crazy seeing Giannis at number one, but then he's also been a great player too. Yeah, it's kind of a toss-up, I guess. Yeah, no, I, I think you're right. It really is. I mean, it's not surprising to see Giannis number one because he's he's so dominant. But, yeah, you're, you're totally right when you say players care about this so much because a few weeks ago we talked about the NBA 2K23 ratings that were released, and we kind of saw some reactions from players on Twitter, and it was, yeah, they, they really do care a lot about that kind of thing. Even NFL players in Madden, like, I know last week we saw P.J. Locke got the uh, game-winning force fumble against the Niners for, for the Broncos to win that game, and then he tweeted at EA Sports Madden, and he said, can, can my rating be higher than the 60s? <laughs> so it, it's all these athletes care about their video game ratings and where they're placed on these these scales, but... Yeah, no, I think Giannis being at one, I don't know. You're right. It, it really is a coin flip. Yeah, I think, too, even to bounce off that Curry subject, Curry took down both Jokic and Doncic in the playoffs. Yeah, there's lots of that. So uh-huh. I, don't, I don't know who went into making this list or who voted, but, yeah, yeah. that's that a good point. That's interesting. Uh-huh. And, and when you think about the top five players in the NBA, uh, Brevin, do you think, KD should be in there. Do you think LeBron should be in there, too? I mean, for me, I think this is a pretty solid group. But Luka Doncic at three, maybe you could replace him with KD. I don't I don't know. What do you think? The only tough thing about KD, and you could kind of put LeBron in that conversation, is just the durability from both of them. I see KD coming back mm-hmm. from that Achilles, and LeBron, you know, no matter what injury it is, ankle, groin, whatever it is, you know, it's kind of limited both of them from being on the court from the injuries and you see for the most part all four of these players all five of these players on the top five pretty much staying healthy the other one obviously we saw Steph get hurt um for a little bit but you know you see the durability aspect from each of these five players yeah absolutely so those are your top five according to the ESPN top 100 players in the NBA Giannis at one Jokic at two Doncic three and beat at four and Curry at position number five. Um, when you th- talk about Steph Curry as well, he's a big part of the Golden State Warriors the past decade, all the championships they've won, but there's another leader, part of their locker room that is sticking around for one more year as well, Andre Iguodala, who sees a little bit of playing time depending on the game, but um, he's coming back for his 19th and final NBA season uh, in 2022 and 23 to the Golden State Warriors, Brevin, what do you think about this? Yeah, uh, GM Bob Myers had to twist Andre Iguodala's arm for this one, I feel like, but um, <laughs> you think about just the role that Andre Iguodala plays on this team, you know, it's not necessarily 
the way it was in 2015 when he was that that sixth man that was that starter. He's just going to be, mm-hmm. you know, he he knows the system that well, and that's why the Warriors want to keep him, you know, as a player. And I think that's been so crucial for, um, you know, that that organization. We've seen obviously Andre won the uh, Finals MVP in 2015, um, and you know it just shows you the. You know, for him to come back to the Warriors is one thing, and for him now to supposedly end his career as of right now in Golden State, it says a lot about his role that he has in this organization, as well as how the Warriors view Andre um, in Golden State. Yeah, definitely going to be a nice veteran piece in terms of leadership to have, especially with their young core, with James Wiseman, Jonathan Kaminga, Jordan Poole, Moses Moody. You know, the list goes on and on, but Really nice for him to stick around. Um, don't know a person that hates Andre Iguodala, so it's going to be great to have him back in the NBA next year too. But mm-hmm. let's kind of switch gears here and change it to the NFL, what's going on in National Football League. It's the Pro Bowl is no longer the Pro Bowl, I guess. It's now the Pro Bowl games, and I think this has been something people have been waiting on for a long time. I didn't really expect this to be changed you know, as quickly as it did. I, I think we were expected to have maybe one more Pro Bowl game, but they're changing it now. It's now called the Pro Bowl Games, and the players are required to attend this barring injury, and instead of the Pro Bowl, it's now two categories of events, including skill competitions and game day events. So the skill competitions will occur the week of the games. By the way, this is a week-long event. This is not just a one-day thing. This is going on from Tuesday until Saturday. And this is going to include non-football activities like dodgeball, best catch competition, quarterback drills, including including a thread-the-needle accuracy test. And then the game day events will include roughly three hours of seven-on-seven flag football games without linemen, obviously. And then scores from both the skill competitions and game day events will be compiled to determine a champion. And so each Pro Bowl team will have 44 players, Members of the winning team will receive $84,000. Members of the losing team will receive half of that, so $42,000. This is a big change in terms of who's getting honored to, to, to the Pro Bowl, and obviously there's no more game itself. So I'll start with you, Amber. Do you kind of like this idea? I think it's interesting, especially <laughs> just what it's changing to. It's kind of like, what are we doing, you know, like some of those things you just listed off. I think it's also going to be interesting. I mean, like you said, we all knew that this was coming. It was kind of going downhill each year. It was kind of all about not wanting to go all out for not wanting to get players hurt and whatnot. But then being selected to the Pro Bowl was such an honor and something that has been talked about so much in terms of who's getting into the Hall of Fame one day, you know? So it's kind of interesting on how that whole aspect of it will change, you know? You you hear so much talk of, oh, well, only been to the Pro Bowl one time versus five-time Pro Bowler, you know? So that'll be interesting. But, you know, I think I think it... I. See the overall picture of, you know, God forbid some season-ending injury happens at the Pro Bowl once everything is all said and done. Like, no one wants to go through that, you know? Yeah. But it's interesting. I do also, though, Peyton Manning is somehow in on this. 
right? Did I read that somewhere? Really? I will. I, I think right he's now. doing something with it's Omaha thing. Productions or whatever oh, they yeah. do. Yeah. So I feel like with Peyton Manning being involved, they'll make something special out of it. You know, I'm sure they're already working on the brainstorming now, but hopefully that will add some element of fun that will make it worthwhile. But definitely an interesting change. Yeah, Paint Manning and his Omaha Productions company will help shape programming and promote the event's content throughout the week. He was a 14-time Pro Bowl pick himself, but he's going to provide his perspective and be a part of the coaching staff for the flag football game that will go down. So there's that. that that's good on you for mentioning that because I had no idea. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I think you're totally right when you talk about, you know, how will this change the perspective of the Pro Bowl? And it seems like every year the honor of being at a Pro Bowl has dwindled more and more, and now I think maybe even more so. I think this is a good idea. It's fun for the players. It's also great for the fans to kind of see these players out there, get to know their personalities a little bit better, and see them just kind of in a different environment. But what I think this really does is change how people will look at a Pro Bowl honor as well. Um, I think for the past couple years it's kind of been – or the sense I've kind of got is – First team all pro or second team all pro is a little bit more important than a Pro Bowl honor. But I, I don't know. This is this is gonna be interesting from the NFL. I think that them making this a week long event, good on them because they're gonna make a lot of money from it still. And I don't know where this is going to be hosted. Um, but it, it will be fun to watch. Um yeah, the story doesn't necessarily say where it's gonna be hosted. I don't know if it's gonna be in Hawaii like they used to do. Um, but it surely will be interesting. I think that's... It's kind of, it's a, like, the time is now, right? We're seeing so many changes. We're adapting to a lot of different things. So it, I feel like it is a good opportunity because if you do this well, it could be a hit and it changes for the better, yeah. you know? Mm-hmm. But if it's kind of a bust, then you're kind of dug yourself into a hole where it's like, okay, the fans already don't like this. <laughs> what, and what else are you going to do? You're gonna change right, it. now what do we do? Yeah, yeah. so it'll be interesting, but I think that's why it's important to have someone like Peyton Manning who, like you said, obviously very well-respected, 14-time Pro Bowler himself, you know. And they've done a lot of cool stuff. You know, with his Omaha productions, they have fun stuff. But then also what they've done with the Manning cast and whatnot, you know, hopefully something fun like that can come around to make it an over more of that overall experience, too. Because I know people have really enjoyed what they've done. I think having a former player on the show is a really good idea because he kind of knows what people want to see. He knows what the football players want to do. And so... Yeah, it'll be fun. I mean, he's going to run the show, and it has to be good. I mean, you mentioned the Manning cast. I was watching it on Monday, and yeah. It's, oh, great. I'm always going to watch that over the main broadcast if my team is not playing, for sure. <laughs> the Pro Bowl games in this coming year will be at the same site of last year's Pro Bowl and the same site of the 2022 NFL Draft in Las Vegas. So, uh, oh, okay. Las Vegas still being that prime city for the NFL to uh, these type of events. Gotcha. There you go. Yeah, speaking of Las Vegas, the Raiders are playing the Broncos this week, and we'll get into that in a second. But Amber is a Chargers fan, so myself being a Broncos fan, Brevin's been covering the Raiders. We kind of have a 
whole AFC West jumble here in, in the Zoom call right now. But, Amber, I'll, I'll ask you first about the Chargers. They face the Texans in Houston this week. Right now they have a 1-2 and two record. We've seen a lot of different things happen this season. There's been a lot of injuries. Justin Herbert, we weren't sure what was happening with him, but it turns out he's fine. But um, what? how would you put this season for the Chargers into perspective? I feel like it has just been a roller coaster. Yeah. <laughs> Obviously, a big off season for them, a really good roster, so many analysts and people talking about could they be the Super Bowl sleeper this year. Um, yeah, and it was really exciting to see what they would do, and now we just are <laughs> crashing down. But I think <laughs> the injuries is just what has been so crazy. Obviously, that was really scary with Justin Herbert and what a stud he is. You know, still probably not fully 100% last week, yeah. but still through 297 yards and throwing some of these Herbert bombs that you're just, how the heck did he even do that? That's pretty incredible. Even when that injury happened, you know, he was down. There's one play, you're like, oh my gosh, pull him out of there. He can't even throw right now. He's like hopping off to the side. Then he throws a touchdown pass. It's like, yeah. He's just unbelievable. So hopefully, hopefully he'll be good because he's obviously a big difference maker for that team. But Rashawn Slater, yeah. Ending surgery. Joey Bosa, surgery. Yeah. Hopefully he can come back. Keenan Allen, hopefully coming back this week. Corey Lindsley, hopefully coming back this week. Yeah. Jalen Titan, season-ending surgery in ACL. So it's just like, gosh, how many more? Every time I get a notification on my phone from, like, Adam Schefter, someone, I'm like, oh, my gosh, here we go again. (laughs) So it's just been – it'll be interesting to see because, obviously, Rashawn Slater has been incredible, especially on that O-line protecting Herbert, who's already now banged up. You know, and mm-hmm. I'm safe. That that that's gonna be a tough loss. Um, I know for Bosa, Chris Rump is gonna get the opportunity to start in his place. He's kind of been bouncing around in a lot of different places, but I think that'll be the interesting thing now. Is you know, Rump I think is in his now second season. He's drafted last year, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, it'll be kind of be a cool opportunity to finally see these guys in, see what they can do. It's either a good thing of, yep, he's been, you know, these younger guys have been progressing the way they should, and now they're getting their shot. Or it'll be that eye-opener of, okay, there's still a little bit more work to do, you know. But that'll be the cool thing. Hopefully this week the Texans 0-2 <laughs> might be a way to get back on track and, you know, get some momentum going again, but it's definitely been a tough run so far. Yeah, you mentioned those injuries. It's, it's like the Charger curse. I don't I don't know. It's every year, and it continues, like you said, and this week in practice, um, all limited participants yesterday and questionable for the game this weekend. You mentioned it with Keenan Allen, Justin Herbert. Um, also, there's J.C. Jackson, and then Donald Parham Jr. looking to make his season debut, too, so yeah, it, it's crazy. I mean, when you think about this AFC West as well, when you put all these teams into perspective, the whole grand scheme of things, it's it's almost like every single team has underperformed so far to this point. Wouldn't you agree with me, Brevin? I mean, it's like... Yeah. Kind of and there is so much talk. It's like, oh my gosh, the AFC West is stacked. It's going to be yeah. the toughest league. 
And then here we are. <laughs> yeah, we see the Chiefs. But that's the NFL, right? Uh-huh. It's something yeah. different every mm-hmm. Yeah, we saw the Chiefs lose to the Colts this past Sunday. We saw the Raiders lose to Arizona. Um, you know, uh, let's see. I mean, the Broncos barely squeaked by the Niners last week. Um, yeah, Chargers lost to the Jackets. Very low yeah. scoring. Uh-huh. Yeah. The AFC South is better than the AFC West uh-huh. right now. <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah, it just shows you that, you know, all these NFL teams, they have an opportunity to win on, quote-unquote, any given Sunday. So um, we're starting to see the parity within the league start to already take shape entering week four. Yeah, that's so true. And like you said, you, you bring up these injuries, and there's been a lot of them just throughout the league as well. And um, we might get into a little bit of that when we talk fantasy, but let's get into week four games first before we get there. There's Vikings against Saints. That's going to be in London, in England, at 6.30 a.m. Pacific time. It's going to be at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. Obviously, we won't have the normal football that's going to go down there. We're going to have American football there. So that'll be a fun game to watch. We'll see if Kirk Cousins can perform in the opposite of prime time. (laughs) Yeah, that's for sure. So they're looking to bounce back. Saints, I think, Pretty much all the same, so we're going to see who comes out on top of that. Another big game this week is Bills at Ravens. That's going to be one of our 10 a.m. games in the early window. Bills coming off a really tough loss against the Dolphins last week, and then the Ravens, we've seen them. Undefeated Dolphins. Yeah, how about that? And then the Ravens are, um, you know, coming off a 37-26 win over the Patriots as well, so these two teams are pretty much... Top dogs, I guess you might be able to say, in the AFC, at least to this point, or they are up there, at least, alongside the Dolphins, like you said. Um, game predictions for this, Amber? Hmm, I think, yeah, it was it's kind of uncharacteristic of the Bills last week. We saw them start out so hot. Obviously, Josh Allen, always incredible in what they're able to do on offense. Obviously, talk of being Super Bowl contenders yet again. So I think, you know, it'll be it'll be a fun matchup of these quarterbacks, obviously both really good in their own ways. But I think I'm going to go with the Bills on this one. Bounce back. Don't want two in a row. We'll see. Yeah, I'll, I'll take the Bills too. Part of me wants to take the Ravens, especially with them being at home. But I don't know. I just have a feeling Josh Allen's going to go off this week. So I'll take the Bills. Brevin, who do you think? I think I'm going to take the Bills here. And even despite all the injuries to the Bills secondary and their their defense, they still, you know, they only allowed 21 points to, to Tua and the Dolphins. And I still think mm. the Bills still have that still have that strong defense. I mean, it helps that, you know, even when all their players are healthy, they're only playing like 20% of the time. So you see all these different guys get their reps in. So I'm going to take the Bills. Um, and with that defense. All right, let's move on to one of our games in the late window. That's going to be Broncos at the Raiders at 1.25 p.m. Pacific. And the Raiders are... You guys first. don't care about this one at all, do you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And we're so like, this, yeah, we'll just skip this one. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll move on. <laughs> this is... I don't know. It, it seems like a must-win game for both teams to this point. Raiders are 0-3. Broncos are 2-1, but I've looked ugly. And... Revan, you've been covering the Raiders these past couple seasons. Um, what are you kind of expecting in this game? I think the biggest thing for the Raiders is can they put 
a full 60 minutes together the way they envisioned. You know, that's the thing that we haven't seen from the Raiders. They'll play really good for two quarters or just one quarter, but then, you know, we don't see the same that same team that was really good for two quarters in the second half. And I think that's the biggest thing for the Raiders. Can they put together a full game together? You know, can Derek Carr be able to find Devontae Adams? Can he be able to find Darren Ball? And now Hunter Renfro's question mark, question mark here. He's been out with a concussion since the Arizona game. So Matt Collins is filled in uh, in that third wide, in that wide yeah. receiver spot. But that, that'd be the big question um, for the Raiders, especially offensively. All right, Brevin, who do you got in this game? Something tells me the Raiders should win this game, but if the Ra- but I feel like the Broncos might take this one just, you know, with the way Russell Wilson is and he's still trying to find his groove. And so I feel like this one's more yeah. up for grabs, even though the Raiders might be the favorite here. Amber, who do you got in this game? Amber's like, well, if I have to pick. <laughs> I know. I I think it's a toss-up, too. And I think it would be really fun if the Raiders win to then throw even more of a dagger in the AFC West. Yeah. But I don't know. Yeah, I, I kind of agree with Brevin. It's been a tough first three weeks for them. But, you know, this is the time where you either come together and figure it out and can turn it around. Or it's like one more loss to add, and it's just like that dagger again of, uh, you know, like lowering the mood, I guess. So I don't know. I'm I'm gonna go with the Raiders. Yeah, I, I think before the season, I predicted the Broncos would split the season series with the Raiders. So I'll, I'll take the Raiders at home, and they kind of need a win. Um, I, I think the biggest matchup in here to watch is Devonte Adams against Pat Ten because. Yep. PS2's been a top three corner in the league this year. He didn't allow a catch last week. And um, Devontae Adams hasn't been targeted as much as we thought. And Derek Carr hasn't necessarily been looking his way. I saw a film study on Twitter the other day, and it was just kind of Derek Carr looking him off at times where, you know, we've seen in the past Aaron Rodgers make some throws where Devontae Adams can, you know, go up and win pretty much any jump ball. So that's going to be a matchup to watch. The line for this game opened. At Raiders minus three, it's now gone to minus two and a half in favor of the Raiders. So I'll take the Raiders at home, but man, if they, I think especially the biggest part of that is if they start out zero and four, it's really all gone downhill for them. So this is a big game for both teams, but um, I'll take the Raiders in this one. I'll, I'll take the L and move on. <laughs> it's are- such a crazy little mm-hmm. side note on that too, just about Devontae yeah. Adams and yeah. kind of the crazy start that it's been. I think that just shows shows so much chemistry built up is hard to replicate. Like, yeah. Yeah. like you said, him and Aaron, Ro- Aaron Rodgers say all the time, it's like, oh, I could, I don't even have to tell that guy what I'm doing. He just knows. It's like they telepathically are on the same page. Yeah. And when he went to the Raiders, it's like, oh, but back, him and Carr again, back like the college days. But it's like, no, it's been several years and that just doesn't replicate overnight. And I feel like we're seeing that now, you know, is, yeah, it's, it's not like what it used to be. These, it's going to take time to develop as well again. So that's been kind of interesting to see. But Yeah, for sure. And I, I think, too, um, what I'm really looking forward to is Josh McDaniels coaching against his former team. Yep. And he, he obviously did a lot of bad things in Denver, not, not too many good things. And so an 0-3 start, man, if you're a Broncos fan like I am, 
you're really looking forward to this matchup because you really want to win this mm. game. And we even saw Bradley Chubb earlier this week, and he was saying, like, the Raiders are just one of those teams, man. He was like, I, I hate them. So th- this is a rivalry game that's going to be a lot of fun to watch. Mm-hmm. The Raiders are the only 0-3 team in the NFL. Yeah, that's crazy. So 0-4 is like your season, man. It's it's down the toilet at that point. Yep. So really big game there. And another one is Chiefs at Bucks. That's our Sunday night game. That's going to be in Tampa. Um, obviously that city not directly hit by Hurricane Ian. Still, you know, got some effects of that, but we've seen a lot of other cities in Florida be a lot more impacted, but they're going to have a game in Tampa Bay, and this is a big game for both teams. I think, you know, Chiefs coming off a loss, like you mentioned, and uh, Buccaneers to this point. Um, also coming off a loss. Yeah, coming off a loss themselves to the Packers, and, you know, we, we kind of expected a little more out of that game in terms of, Offensive production, obviously they dealt with the suspension of Mike Evans and injuries, and, you know, you go on and you can name it. But who do you got in this game, Brevin? We'll start with you. I'm going to take the Bucks here. I feel like this is one of those get-right games for Tom Brady. Uh, you know, this is, um, you know, the Chiefs, you know, the defense isn't, you know, was one of the question marks heading into the year, and I feel like Tom Brady, you know, with the, how logical he is at being able to defeat defenses. This is one that he can easily take down, especially with Evans coming back, you know, maybe have Chris Godwin or Julio Jones back as well. And you still got Len Fournette in that backfield. Yeah, this is a really important game for both teams, like you mentioned. And there's also some injuries that the Bucks are dealing with. You mentioned Julio and Chris Godwin, but also Russell Gage is dealing with injury. He was limited yesterday. Rashad Perriman dealing with the knee and hamstring. He did not participate yesterday. Akeem Hicks as well did not participate. And then we're still waiting to see about Donovan Smith, who is, you know, probably their best lineman or second best lineman. He's, you know, that blindside protector for Brady, and he's going to be, I think, a key part of this offense for a while. But, Amber, what do you think? Yeah, let's not forget. It was a loss last week to the Packers. Barely. Tom Brady doing what he does best, going downfield, scoring the touchdown. They barely miss it by not that two-point conversion to yeah. try it. So, you know, you know the the Packers really pulled ahead, and you thought they had it. But, no, here comes Tom Brady marching back in like he frequently does. So, I think, you know, and Tom is such a competitor. I know that didn't sit well with him. I know that this whole start to the season is not sitting well with him. We've seen the frustrations with the four Microsoft surfaces. (laughs) Um, But, yeah, I think it'll be a good matchup, obviously, two great quarterbacks, Mahomes and Brady. I think Bucks being at home, I'm going to go with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. (laughs) Yeah, I'll take the Bucks too. I don't know. It's not me ruling out the Chiefs necessarily, but it's also, I think last week we really saw a little bit of animosity and frustration between Patrick Mahomes and Eric Bieniemy, their offense coordinator. And I don't know. We, we've never really seen that before. And it's game management. It's play calling. It's, you know, it's a little bit of both. So, yeah, I, I mean, it's, <laughs> I don't know, man. It's, it, it's, Really interesting to see something like that go down because, you know, for the Chiefs these past couple of years, it's been a lot of, you know, flowers and butterflies. But when that happens, when they face some adversity, it's it's kind of interesting, especially against a Colts team that didn't get off to too much of a hot start, you know, the yep. first two weeks. So 
Yeah, I'll take Tampa Bay here. I don't know. Not me rolling out the Chiefs, and they probably still are going to finish first in the AFC West, but I'll take the Bucs. I'll ride with you guys on that. And mm-hmm. our last It'll game, be a close game for sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think all, all these games that we're talking about has the potential to be close, man. It's, it's going to be a really great week of matchups. First couple weeks, we're kind of like, okay, these are interesting games or whatever, but these are some really good teams that are playing each other. And the last one, man, that's... It's going to be something. Rams at Niners, Monday Night Football, Jimmy G making his first home start. Um, we saw what happened last week against the Broncos. He honestly, in my opinion, he lost in the game. Not only that safety, that safety six <laughs> that happened, but I think also just his decision making. I've been on NFL Twitter a lot more recently, and part of that is like these film studies that I've been, you know, watching and encountering and he missed his reads plenty of times and I think it's also a question of arm strength and man I, I don't know he he just does not seem to be making the right reads looking down field when he should be he had a couple guys wide open we even saw that last week Josie Jewell was guarding Debo Samuel at times uh, I think it would have been a touchdown on that big reception that Debo Samuel had if he didn't underthrow that as well and he also missed a couple receivers that were being guarded by Josie Jewell, who is probably the slowest player, at least from the linebacker core or the secondary on the Broncos defense. So I don't know. I'll, I'll take the Rams in this game. I'm not expecting much to see out of this Niners offense. It might take them a couple weeks to really figure it out. I think it also starts with the run game. So they need to go back to that, but I'll take the Rams in this game. Amber, we'll go to you next. Who do you got? I'm going to go with the Rams too. I think, you know, obviously – Tough loss for them week one, but it seems like they're now starting to find their groove again. Um, and, yeah, I agree. Just the offense that we're seeing with the 49ers mm-hmm. up, down, all around. Yeah. So, yeah, I like the Rams here. Bravin, who you got? I'm going to go with the Rams as well. Um, I think the only question that surrounds the Rams is who's going to get the more running back touches between – Cam Akers and Daryl Henderson Jr., but it's helped them get a couple of wins over the last few weeks. Saw them get a grinded-out victory against Arizona in Glendale, and uh, I think that momentum continues. We all know what Cooper Cup can do, and even despite whatever elbow issues Matthew Stafford had, we still saw the success um, Cooper Cup was able to have. Yeah, no doubt. So those are your... Best week, four games this week, and we're going to see what happens. We'll keep you updated on what happened next week, and we're going to preview week five in our next week's show as well. But let's jump into some fantasy real quick. Week three, I defeated Brandon Freed. That was a score of pretty much 141 to 128 when you round up. Brevin defeated our guy DG Daniel Guerrero, 107 to 82. Amber ended up defeating Luis Lopez. Max Flex, <laughs> that score was 102 to 90. And so we all we really needed that. We, we all took dubs last week. I'm very happy. I got my first one. And, you know, it was a little scary at times. It was CD Lamb against Saquon Barkley in the Monday night game. And I had CD. And, yeah, it was definitely scary, especially after Saquon broke that long touchdown. But, man, that, that touchdown drive capped off by CD with that one-hander pretty much secured it for me. And, Made me feel a lot better, so I was happy about that. So, um, let's go. We're we're into October slash week four, and all teams have at least one win. So, 
Good for all of us. We're all doing great things. This week, uh, I take on Brandon Free. Kyle takes on the other 3-0 in Jason Freud. Amber takes on Devin Watley this week. Um, Amber, how do you feel about your fantasy team um, so far? My biggest problem is forgetting to set my lineup. <laughs> um, yeah, it's been good. I feel like injuries. <laughs> yeah. Or like people having a really big week one week and then nothing the next week. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. I have Cam Akers. Haven't really seen anything from him so far. Yeah. Um, Ezekiel Elliott. It's up and down, you know. So it's like. I feel like the biggest challenge, what makes fantasy so thrilling, is the mental game of, eh, well, this week was pretty good. Do I keep them again? Do I change it out? So that's always fun. I also have uh, Jamar Chase and T. Higgins. Yeah. It's one or the other each week, it seems yeah. like. So that's been funny, too. But we'll see. Also, got Matt Stafford and Tom Brady been riding the Matthew Stafford train the past two weeks. I think I might stay with that. Tom's been a little up and down, too. Yep. So, yeah. It's always the gamble each week. Yeah, that's <laughs> for sure. I, I will also say, Amber, I do really like your wide receiver, core. You, you brought up Jamar Chase, but also Debo Samuel and Jalen Waddle. I mean, that's that's pretty lethal. I think the biggest question is just your running backs and, like, Will they show up every week? Literally. That's where it gets me. Yeah. Jalen Waddle's questionable this week, but he's supposed to play, so. I'll play tonight, yeah. Play tonight. That's going to be a great game. Oh, yeah, tonight. I'm really looking forward to this game. Yeah, Amber, you got uh, Jalen Waddle. I got a couple hours to figure it out. (laughs) Yeah, you got got Jamar as well, or Higgins, and then you got Bengals D. So, a lot riding tonight on your team. (laughs) Maybe move uh, Jalen Waddle out of that flex position in case he doesn't play. Yeah. Yeah. Who knows? I mean, game time decision. It seems like, but I mean, the way Tua's been playing, Tua legit, Tua cl- quit. I almost messed it up. <laughs> I don't even have Tua. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's hilarious. That's so funny. Hey, yeah, and it says you're tenth right now, which is completely unfair. I guess it's because it's you know the points that you scored. Uh, I think points. it's yeah. You yep. scored. You scored two forty five. But I mean, at the same time. You're still one and two, along with literally six other teams. Yep. So <laughs> that's the thing. Brevin right now, one of two, three and O teams, and then there's only one two and one team that belonging to Finley. So yeah, this is uh, a really important week for us six teams. Seven. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Who will be one and three, and who will get to two and two this week? Yeah, I mean it. At the same time, it also makes me feel better that there are a ton of one and two teams and that, you know, I'm not like, you know, Amber, we're not necessarily two of three teams with a one and two record. So, you know, it could always be worse. So, um, yeah, it'll be a good week. I think we're coming to that point where we're kind of seeing a lot more from these football players. You're expecting more consistency. And if not, you're going to have to go to the waiver wire. And then sooner than later, I think, what is it, two or three weeks, we're going to encounter some bye weeks. Yep. And oh, that's, that's gonna, always fine. Yeah, that's going to shake some things up right now. Um, I think my biggest question mark in terms of my team, Brevin, and I want to hear yours after this as well, same with you, Amber, yep. it's probably J.K. Dawkins. What are we going to see out of him this week, and is he going to get more touches? Mm-hmm. 
what would you what would you say, Brevin? Your your biggest question mark right now is. I think probably probably the injuries. Um, obviously, last week it didn't help that Mike Evans was suspended, but Gabe Davis <laughs> is out with the ankle right now. AJ Dillon and Damian Pierce are questionable. Um, and then we saw both Dalvin Cook and Joe Mixon get hurt in their games last week. So probably the injuries, I would say. Yeah. Yeah. Well, what would you say for you, uh, Amber? Is it probably the running backs? Probably. Yeah. It's something different every week. Yeah, that's, that's true. <laughs> you bench one, and then they go off, and then you're like, why did I do that? And then you put them in, and they don't do anything. Yeah, always. Yeah, really but, always make happens. but the crazy thing is, like, they're all really good players. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's just like, can we get the ground game going? Yeah, yeah. You know, it's no just like that's been... Kind of across the NFL, a crazy thing. Yeah, that's no doubt. So we'll definitely keep you guys updated on what happens. Again, this is week four of the NFL and fantasy season, and we're kind of coming. Oh, I got, to- I'm looking up everything right now. I'm like, is Waddle going to play tonight? What's yeah. going on? <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yeah, I think he is expected to play. Like, my, my sister, I think she's doing fantasy for the first time, and I've kind of been helping her. And – She's learning about injury designations, and she's like, oh, yeah. all of my receivers are questionable. What am I going to do? I'm like, you know, there probably is a pretty good chance, like, if they are questionable that they will mm-hmm. play, depending on how they how they are in practice. But, I mean, at the same time, it's it's always so much to look into, and, and managing a fantasy team is – it's not an easy thing either. you got to, like, Me track it. Me too. He literally day. had 40 points. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's, sorry about that, Amber. <laughs> <laughs> sorry about that. It's it's crazy. So this is yeah, it, it's definitely tough looking at some of the players on the waiver wire. I I picked up uh Greg Dortch. Hopefully yeah. he does some good for me if I ever need to start him. Um we are also gonna see the return of Zach Wilson this week. He's active against the Steelers. That's a pretty tough defense, but we'll see how he does. Um that offense looked pretty good to be honest with you against um with Joe Flacco, I guess, at the helm for the past couple games as well. But, yeah, this is going to be a big week in fantasy. And if you're just like the Raiders and if you're 3-0-3, then you kind of need a win. Yep. Mm-hmm. All right. We're going to move on to trivia, and we're going to continue talking to fantasy football. One of the challenges this year in fantasy football would have to be the running backs. You've seen, you know, in, in terms of inconsistent running back play, we've seen – even Jonathan, even guys like Jonathan Taylor um, have some really tough weeks. Um, but yeah, between Kyle and Amber, I want you to name the top ten fantasy football PPR running backs from the first three right. weeks of the year. All right, um, I'll let Amber go first. I know that this is this is, this is going to be tough just because mm-hmm. like, we haven't seen a lot of these running backs that we expected to do well do well. Mm-hmm. So. Amber, <laughs> take a crack at it. Uh, <laughs> no idea. It, it, if you, we can do top five. If you, if you're, yep, if you're, we can do five as well. We, we can just do top five. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to think of like yeah. who's done what. I have a couple names in mind. Uh-huh. Hmm. I think. PTR. PTR. football running backs. Who is that, Amber? Is Jonathan Taylor still up there? Yeah, he is running back number 10. 
Oh, really? I didn't 27 and a half points in week one, 7.3 in week two, and 12.1 in week three. RB10 at 46.9 fantasy points. All right, we, we can do top 10. All right, I'll. I'll this I'll is do, why I'll, I did 10. Yeah, okay, I like that. I like that. Derrick Henry? Derrick Henry's not on the top 10. There you go. All right, I'll, mm-hmm. I'll, go, I'll guess. I'll, guess. Uh, I'll go James Robinson. Yep, James Robinson, one of the only player, one of the only running backs in fantasy football to record a touchdown in every single week. Nineteen point nine points in week one, fifteen point eight points in week two, twenty points in week three, total fifty six point three fantasy points for the RB three. Three? What? Yeah, that's crazy. All right, Amber, go next. I literally have no idea. <laughs> um, <laughs> all of mine are trash, so. <laughs> all right. Oh, I'm trying right. to think because I haven't really been watching a whole lot, too, from yeah. working on the weekends. Yeah. yeah. Kyle, you got it from here. <laughs> all right. I'll guess Austin. Oh, I'm going to keep thinking. Austin, Austin Eckler, no. No, really? Okay. I know he's underperformed, and you'd yep. be the first one to ask me. But I thought those PPR points would help him. But nope. um, okay, I'll go with uh, Javante Williams. No, Javante Williams is not in the top ten. Wow. Oh. Okay, this is really tough, actually. Yep. Jeez, I thought he would have been up there too. Um, I'll, I'll just keep guessing. I'll let him fly. I'll, I'll stick with the AFC West here. Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. Yep, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire is number is the RB four in oh. fantasy football. Uh, fifty-three point one fantasy points. Aaron Jones. Yep, oh, there you go. Aaron Jones, RB seven at forty-eight point three fantasy points. Had a big. He had a week bunch two. of touchdowns last. Mm-hmm. Thirty-two week fantasy two, points. Yes. Mm-hmm. Big yeah. day. Mm-hmm. Man, oh gosh, this is uh, this is something here, man. Because I'm thinking of all these good teams, and it's just like. I'd- <laughs> you know, like, I don't know. Uh, oh, man. Saquon. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. Saquon is the RB1 in fantasy, 33 points in week wow. one. 22. Who has him? Does someone have him on our league? Yes. That yeah, let me be Brandon Freed. He freed him? Mm-hmm. Oh, that's, that's why he's doing so well. Um, he's looking like the RB1 of 2019, as we saw. Yeah. 2018, yeah. whichever that was. Whichever I'm, that I'm, was. Surpri- I'm surprised he didn't score more last week when I faced huh? him. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, you got one honestly, honestly I, 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 I'm I going to go with... I mean, he got hurt last week with Dalvin Cook? Nope. Dalvin Cook is not in the top ten. I, I knew that was kind of a wild guess or wilder. Mm-hmm. Um... He he's been consistent, but he hasn't had like a week where he wowed anyone. But I'm gonna guess maybe he's like RB nine or something. McCaffrey? Nope, no Christian McCaffrey. All right, all right, that is that's crazy. All right, there's two running backs from the same team within the within the top ten as well. Uh, I'm there's a good hint. There's a good hint. Amber, you want to go? See, I, Brevin, I always forget. Chubb? Yep, there you go. Nick Chubb, RB2. Yep. Had a big week two with Aaron Jones, had 32 fantasy points that week. 
Uh, 64.9 fantasy points for Nick Chubb so far this year. I always forget about that guy because he's like a superstar, but mm. people don't really like, give him that recognition. He was like a fourth-round pick in a lot of drafts, too. Third, yeah. fourth round. That's crazy. He was the um, RB11 in our draft. He's in 22nd overall. That's wild. Okay, so second round. Um, Cream Hunt, obviously. Nope. No cream hunt. Wow. Because I remember um, you catch a lot of passes. That's crazy. I'm trying to... Two uh, teams? I'm trash. Yeah, I'm running Kareem out. Hunt is right now RB15. Okay. So he's a little behind. Yeah. It's not... There's no Penny. There's no James Conner. There's... Oh. Jeff Wilson's only played two weeks. I'm going through, like, literally every team right now. I know. Me, too. <laughs> I'm just trying to think of legit every single team in the league. Um, man, this is really tough. Uh, Andre Swift. There you go. Nice. Andre Swift. RB5 oh. on here. 26 and a half And who was the other one? Yeah, the other one. Yep. It's Williams. Uh-huh. Jamal Williams, RB8. Yeah. Had a big week three. See, that's the thing. When you think about the Lions, it's always like, you know, they have a stud receiver or whatever. Right. For them to have, like, not only one, but two yep. uh, in the, the top, top ten. It's crazy. Yeah. And now wow. Swift is off this week, so I got, I got Williams stashed in a couple uh, leagues, so I'm ready to deploy. Uh, Javante Williams was is RB seventeen. Oh wow! Okay, he's been catching a lot more passes. That's why I, I guessed him, but he's not getting goal line carries. So, um, you think Melvin Gordon for taking that away? Yeah, that's for sure. Humble <laughs> <laughs> boy. Um, I don't, I don't know how he's done. I think he scored once this year. It's a wild guess. Cordero Patterson. There you go. RB six. Wow. Yeah, he had a good week one, had a good week three, 22 points in both of those weeks. 49 points. Yeah, he's very good. There mm. we go. Kamara's had a bad year so far. And he's like, mm. this, uh, the what last you need? running you need? back, you need the RB9. And uh, this, actually, this running back is not, was not a starting running back at the beginning of the year. Brees Hall? Nope. Uh, that was, he's, yeah, he, I don't know, that was a guess. <laughs> <laughs> um, that was, Damian Pierce? Nope. I'm just, I'm just thinking of all these rookies that yeah. are starting jobs. I, I have no idea, to be honest with you. Um, when he's the only running back in our, well, amongst this top ten, he's the only running back that went undrafted. The AFC or NFC player? NFC. NFC player. Jeez, this is, this is something. Wow. I'm kind of at a loss of words. Yeah, I don't know. Man, I'm going through it right now. NFC. Went undrafted. Uh, do we only need RB9? Yes. Okay. Only oh, RB9. Oh, we're almost there. Um, it's not Zeke. It's not Pollard. Undrafted. This team... Uh, this player was picked up in our league this week. This week? Yeah. That's insane. Uh, 
I've, I've gone through the South, gone through the East. Not, not an Eagles player. Nope. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I'm determined. I need to get this. Uh-huh. Um. <laughs> uh, let's see. Gosh, wait. I can like see it in my head. Yeah, I, think. I know. I know. It's in my future. <laughs> The Bears. Oh, yes, yes, yes. What's his name? Yes, yes. yes. There you go. There you go. Yeah, Herbert. Had a big week three for an injured... Uh, he was... Oh, my uh, gosh. Yeah. That's so crazy. 30.9 fantasy points in week three. Had 11 points in week one. He was undrafted. Yep, he went undrafted. And he was just picked up off the waiver wire this week by, by Daniel. Oh wow! Of course. How long is Montgomery out? Is he out for a while? Um, not quite sure. Let me let me check on that. Actually, latest on David Montgomery because this is actually a really interesting. He did not practice on Wednesday, um, so if he fails to practice the rest of the week, he'll be doubtful or out. If you were able to grab Khalil Herbert, he's a must start. So there you go, DG. How about that? Mm-hmm. He knew what he was doing. Yeah, I should I should have been more proactive. I should have seen Me too that. with my running back issues. <laughs> even though Montgomery's a starter, like Herbert's still been getting his points and now he's just gonna explode. He's gonna go crazy. That's really cool to see. Yeah. And when you think about DG's team, he has got Aaron Jones, he's got Taylor, who's bound. Taylor's bound. Um Jamal Williams he has as well, so he's he's in a good spot right now. So, yeah, that's that's crazy. He's got our boy Penny on the bench, too. Mm-hmm. He's got Jamal Williams on the bench, too. I, did, I didn't even realize, yeah, he had. Like, he I didn't even realize him. he has Montgomery. So he's he's literally set. He's set because all they can do is run the ball. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Somehow they're still 2-1. and one. Yeah. So that's crazy. There you go. Mm-hmm. So that's the top 10 running backs in it. Fantasy Football PPR, Saquon Barkley at 1, Nick Chubb 2, James Robertson 3, Clyde Edwards Alaire 4, Andre Swift 5, Cordell Patterson 6, Aaron Jones 7, Jamal Williams 8, Khalil Herbert 9, and Jonathan Taylor 10. Yeah, the names on this list that you would expect, and some names you're like, okay, whatever, like Cordell Patterson being top 6, like, you would think he'd be like top 10, but like number 6 pretty solid, I mean, especially and so, yeah, PPR is making a difference, and this is this is going to be a fun league, I, I really think it is, and especially when you consider how close it is already, I'm excited, I'm, I'm really excited to see how this turns out, and when, when am I playing you, Amber? I, I gotta look right now, because uh. that's, that's going to be fun. <laughs> <laughs> She's already starting. <laughs> I don't think I... I don't play you, not week nine. Oh, week eight. Week eight. So It's on. Kyle will not have Patrick Mahomes nor Austin Eckler. Yeah, that's going to be crazy. Um, I'm scared. <laughs> and Amber does not have anybody on by that week. Ugh, so I'm probably going to lose. <laughs> Amber's getting her hopes up now that I said that. That's a problem. <laughs> Yeah, hopefully, I, I'm hoping to get more out of your boy, Eckler Amber, because 
It's only been PPR. They've been, ha- they've been struggling to get that run game going. And, but and the Texans are, like, the worst against the run in the league. Yeah. So, yeah. Kyle's RB1 week. in Week 8 it might be Jeff Wilson Jr. or J.K. Dobbins. Yeah, for real. Gosh, that's going to be something. It's going to be, a, uh, I think, a waiver wire year for me because my bench is not necessarily great. So... We gotta figure some things out. Yeah, maybe, maybe starting today, to be honest with you, because maybe Kyle will be starting to trade some people. I yeah, no, I'm not even gonna lie. Like that, that might have to go down because mm. I don't know. My running back situation is not great, so yeah, there could be some trades in my future. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right, we're gonna wrap this up. This episode number sixty-eight of down the line. Thanks to Amber once again for joining us here for her second appearance on Down the Line. We appreciate you taking some time out of your day to come talk sports with us, as we always did at the Daily Aztec. Obviously, we miss those days, but great to see you thriving in Siouxland. Um, any last words from you, Amber? No, thanks for having me on. This was fun. Like you said, just like the good old days of when we would do this all day, every day. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, it's it's. Always fun to talk the latest sports news and what's happening, what's changing. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, great to catch up with you. And if you want to keep track of what Amber is doing out there in Iowa, you can follow her at Amber Salas, KTIV on Twitter. She's been posting a lot of good content in there and a lot of really good, interesting stories. And great to see you covering sports as you should. Um, at least a little more sports than when you started, so that's great. Obviously, we love seeing that out of our daily Aztec alums, and hopefully we can all get back together at some point. Um, but yeah, we're going to wrap this thing up. Thanks again for listening to this episode 68 of Down the Line. Thanks again to Amber for joining us, and for Brad and Honda, I'm Kyle Betts, and we will see you next time. <laughs>